I trust this morning that the tenor of your heart flows in the lines of the words of this song. Draw me near, hold me close. The most wonderful place in all the universe is to be hand in hand with Jesus. What a thrill it is today to have a visiting pastor, Pastor Reed and his wife Ray, as they come serving the Lord faithfully from place to place, as you will hear. And what a great, great work that we all have to do. And we should serve joyfully. It's the greatest work that anyone can have. So it's our pleasure today to give Pastor Reed a welcome as he comes. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Rex, for the kind words and the introduction. Good morning. This is a double, ex double espresso service. We expect twice as lot of response, right? Good morning. All right, all right. It's kicking in. It's kicking in. Good to be here today and give Pastor Douglas uh, a break and a chance to uh, kind of restore his, restore his soul and spirit and body. Uh, my wife and I have really appreciated Pastor Douglas and Noel and the, just the young energy they have for leading a church. And I trust that you thank God for having him as your uh, pastoral under-shepherd here uh, leading this congregation. Is that worth an amen? amen? Yes. Yeah. You are blessed to have Pastor Douglas here. Now, I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm really glad to be here because Friday uh, I was with a mission team down in Haiti. How many of you vacation in Haiti? I didn't think so. <laughs> Poorest country in the uh, Western Hemisphere. They, uh, they survive on like four or $500 a year. That's the household income, $10 a week. Most of them have five, six, seven children. I don't know how they do it. But we left there on Friday after coming out in the back of pickups and fording rivers and coming out from this town with no electricity and no running water and cold showers for a week. And, and uh, you butcher the goat that you have for lunch just about and chickens that are tied on the railing to the house that we live. Uh, that's lunch coming up. And that's the way we've lived for the last week. I'm very thankful to be here. Last Sunday, worshiped in a church in a town in the Upper Highlands, uh, Upper Plateau, called Mysad. Their church has been in a building program for 12 years. Now, it's a large church of about 800 people. Uh, uh, First Baptist Church of Mysad, the pastor was born there as a kid, uh, grew up there, went away and got his education in, as a minister up in northern Haiti, and has come back to his own town. I, I have uh, such high respect and admiration. He leads a K-12 Christian school there. It was 35 children when he started. There are now 765 kids that come there and are receiving a Christian education, elementary and secondary. And the children that come out of that school, they speak Creole, French, Spanish, and English. And so you can go and talk to the high schoolers in whichever the three or four languages you can use. So it's a great privilege to have been down there. Glad that we're back safely. And uh, I just prayed that all of the schedules would, would coincide so that I could be here today. And God was gr very gracious in letting us do that. Now, uh, I also 
I went to your website because I go from church to church, Sunday by Sunday, and in a different church, and one pastor wears a coat and tie, and the other pastor wears jeans and something, so I always try to fit in. Do you know your website gives a clue to a visiting pastor on what to wear? You know, there's a little link there. I don't know if you go to it, but it says what to wear. And it says you can wear anything you want to if you're sitting out there. But then it says, here's what the pastor's supposed to wear. Sandals and a Hawaiian shirt, right? So you tell your pastor, it's there. You go look at it. You tell your pastor, yep, Don Reed, he fit right in. He wore his sandals and he wore his Hawaiian shirt this morning. Well, it, it, there's such a great spirit when I've come here to Berryessa over the last dozen years. One month from today, uh, I will start my new chapter of life, my wife and I, as I resign from this position. The, my successor's already selected. We've been visiting pastors and churches for the last couple months. We work for three months together to give a good handoff and keep up the good service to the churches. In one month from today, uh, my successor, uh, Reverend David Yetter, will be taking over this ministry. So this may be the last time that I come here, and it's always such a warm reception, hospitable, welcoming people who just want to serve and make sure you're taken care of. And I'm always blessed to come here. It, it's, a, it's a nice congregation. Worship team, I hope you say thanks to them. And thanks for all the hard work. I know some of them may have gone out, but it's always just nice uh, to come here and sense the spirit of the worship people at Lee. Don't take it for granted, okay? And thank them as well along the way. And going from church to church, Sunday by Sunday, uh, is different than being a local pastor where you get to preach every week. And you can do a book series or you can, you know, have a sermon that was too long and you don't finish it and you say, okay, I'm going to finish it next week. I don't have that opportunity, right? So you're going to have to stay until it gets done. No, I won't keep you here too long. There's lunch out there when you get out, all right? Uh, but it is different. And so the message I want to talk to you about today, you'll find a little outline in your uh, bulletin. And you'll see the title of it is Faith, Hope, and Love. Faith, Hope, and Love. Now, this comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is the kind of message which if I only had one time to speak to the people of BBC. Do you use that here, BBC? Do you talk about BBC? Okay. It's too long to say the other way, right? Here at BBC, if I had one opportunity to talk to you and was never going to be here again, I might use this kind of message because this speaks to the heart of what God has uh, created us for and what he offers to us while we're passing through life and what there is beyond this life. It's a great summary little statement in three little words, faith, hope, and love. We'll be talking about that this morning. Now, I want to talk about something which is really curious to me, and it's called the rule of three. I first heard about it uh, a couple years ago when our uh, international group, Converge, used to be called the Baptist General Conference, was thinking about changing to a new branding name. And uh, in that conversation, a man who was talking to us about branding brought up the rule of three. If you go home this afternoon and you Google rule of three, you will find that uh, even in the secular world, they recognize the way God has made our minds work, there's something about being able to remember three things. And you'll find it outside of the Bible. I'm going to give you some illustrations here in a minute, but there are many places, like you go into our Constitution, what does it say? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Maybe you can just watch out there in different advertising and branding. You'll often find things in three. And we find that in the Bible, too. I mean, the Trinity, 
the Godhead. It's not two, it's not four, it is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's something about it that we can easily remember things that are in threes. When God was uh, instructing Joshua, when he took over from Moses, the leader of getting the Israelites out of uh, 400 years of slavery, he said to him in Joshua 1.8 and following, be strong and courageous. Said it three times. Somehow three times helps us remember uh, something that God wants us uh, to know. And I'll, you can see the other list up there. Things that, we, that distract us from the Christian life, world, flesh, and the devil. Not four things, not two things, not one thing, but three things. When it talks about our work and work going through the refining process, what's going to last and what's not going to last, is as here are the things that are not going to last. Wood, hay, and stubble. Not four things, not two things, but for whatever reason, the way God has made us think, three things. What's going to remain? Gold, silver, and precious stones. Three things. You get kind of get the idea of three? It is no wonder when God summarizes what life is all about and what is going to remain, he gives us three things, faith, hope, and love. And we'll talk about the greatest of these is love. Now, let me ask you for a moment. What, if I were to talk to you on the way out or had a chance on the way in, and I were to ask you, what is the, what is something that is very special to you, very important? Just think for a moment. What would it be? Uh, was it uh, your new car sitting in the parking lot? Was it uh, your spouse, your child? Was it your diamond that your husband gave you when he committed to walk through life with you? See, any of those things would not qualify for this list, list of things that remain. Any possession we have, this church is not going to be gone. The new addition you'll put up is, is not going to exist. It'll be gone. The new addition is not going to exist. It won't remain. Anything that we can think about here on earth is not going to remain. So this message that God has for us this morning is really so critical to understand because it will lead us to where we put our emphasis. What we really find is important as we move through life and are going to go out the other end, these three little words. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Follow with me as we ask God to teach us in these three little words. Father in heaven, everywhere in the, word, in the Bible, the word that you have spoken is truth. But here, in a very condensed way, you, has, you have given us truth that is, uh, it not only covers all of life, but stretches into eternity. And it's simple, three little words, but it's also very profound. We know that we won't understand unless the Spirit of God opens our ears, touches our minds, and helps us understand spiritually this morning. So I would claim the promise that the Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth, help us understand why you brought us here today, and what it means to us to really understand faith, hope, and love. By your grace, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, faith, hope, and love. Uh, these three remain. Let's take a look at them. Now, first we need to understand what they are about. Now, with faith, we don't have to question at all because God writes very specifically in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the faith chapter. He says specifically what it is. It is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is believing with every ounce of energy and intellect that you have that something is out there, but you can't put it on a scale, you can't put it in your hand, you can't even show it to your neighbor 
of physically, visibly, will you say, I know that it's true? That's what faith is about. And we're going to talk more about it and probe that. With hope, God also, excuse me, verse 6 of that same chapter, it says, faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you say, I'm I'm a follower of God, but I don't really understand this faith thing, well, I, I would encourage you to go back and look at it a little bit more. Because it says, without faith, it's impossible to be a devoted follower of God. That's how important it is. Now, hope, there's also a couple verses here. The Israelites were a nomadic people. They went from place to place for a long time. They didn't have their own country. They were in slavery for more than twice as long as our country has been around. They were in slavery for 400 years, 430 years. And then finally they go out and they're wandering around for another 40 years. But the psalmist said to them, put your hope in God. Now what is hope if we dug right down into it? Hope for any one of us is knowing that somewhere out there in the future, something better is coming along for us. And this is what it talks about. Put your hope in God, that God has something better even than what you have right now. In the New Testament, it's even more focused where it says the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we understand this hope, this hope uh, uh, quotient and we have it in our life, that's what the ultimate hope is going to be. No matter what we go through physically, financially, the challenges of life, the ups and downs, whether it's going good today or not, we can look way out there. We can say, our hope is in something better, far beyond what I have right now. In fact, it says hope is really faith stretched into the future. That's what hope is all about. And the last one is love. Now, you might say, oh, John 3.16, I know that. No, I would, I would ask you to move not to John 3.16, the gospel, but to 1 John 3.16, where, again, God speaks very directly and clearly. clearly. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So the love that we're going to talk about in these three remains is the kind of love where people sacrifice for the benefit of others. The ten people that went down to Haiti a week ago and uh, spent that time with those very poor people. Uh, I remember a discussion with one of the, some Haitians on a construction team a few years ago, and and they were amazed to find out that they weren't paid to go down there. I go, no, they're taking vacation, and they're paying $1,500 to come down here and help you with your projects. And they just, they just could hardly understand that. You see, it's doing something at a personal cost to yourself that benefits someone, someone else. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us at a horrible cost. And we ought to be doing that. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So that's the definitions of the three of the three. Let's start looking at them individually. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, it's in two sections in your outline here. And the first one that we want to talk about is experiencing what remains. Now, under each one of these, faith, hope, and love, there are three blank lines. And you'll find out as we go through this that it's the same word. There's a set of three, set of three, set of three. But it's also an outline of three. Huh, isn't there something about three? Did I just teach you that a few minutes ago? <laughs> okay, to help you remember, it comes in threes, all right? So let's talk about experiencing what remains and with faith. The first one I call living faith. Now, uh, we all have to experience faith 
just in our daily living. Uh, how many of you rode to church this morning in a car? Raise your hand. Okay. Did you experience faith in coming to church this morning? Just shake your head yes or no. What do you think? You had to because you had faith that the guy that saw the red light when yours was green was going to stop, right? You go, I have faith that you know red and green. You're not colorblind. That's why we have to take the test, right? Uh, when you walked down in here this morning, how many of you looked under the chair to see if all four legs were solid and wouldn't collapse on you? Or did you just come in and plop down on that chair, right? I mean, you had faith that that chair was going to hold you up and you wouldn't fall and hurt your back. When you go buy your groceries or if you go to a restaurant, how do you know that food? Somebody hasn't sprinkled arsenic in that head of lettuce. Ooh, that's going to give everybody paranoia, right? <laughs> okay, we have to exercise faith just in living that things are going to be in order and people are not out to get us. And that's what I call living faith. It's just a part of experiencing uh, this thing of, uh, of faith on a very simple level. But I want to move up the scale. The second word to write down there is moving faith. The disciples went out. They'd been called and trained by Jesus, and he'd done miracles. And then he goes, okay, guys, now I'm going to send you out, and I commission you to do miracles. They went out, and they came back and said, Master... It didn't work. And here's what he said to him. He replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, there's a higher faith than just believing somebody's going to stop at a red light or your chair is going to save you or going to uh, you know, support you or the restaurant is going to give you food that won't make you sick. There's a higher level of faith, and I call it moving faith. And that's what he was trying to teach the disciples. It comes when there's more going on than just the simple things of life. There's a man that I know. I know him and his wife. I've known him for 40 years. They served as uh, career missionaries in Cameroon. And they came to 65 years of age about five years ago. And uh, they felt that God still wanted them to serve. But the mission agency that they were serving with said, no, you're 65, you come back to America, and you stay there because you're old. They said, well, we believe God still wants to use us in Africa. They go, no, nope, our policy is 65, you retire. They came back and actually applied to Converge Worldwide, our organization, as strangers, and said, we have faith that God wants to use us uh, still, even though we re reached retirement age. They said, will you commit, consider and commission us to Nigeria? Because our heart is burdened for the AIDS epidemic in Nigeria. And so Art and Dorothy Helwig were commissioned. They went out. Within two years' period of time, I saw him after a couple of years at a meeting, and he said, in the last two years, we have face-to-face -face been before 50,000 children in schoolrooms teaching them about AIDS and how to avoid getting AIDS and getting sick and dying. At about that time, they, uh, they were given an award by the Nigerian government for having the most significant AIDS ministry in Nigeria. And then shortly thereafter, the United Nations gave them a $5 million grant that was going to expand this ministry, and it's still going on today. Now, that's more faith than just sitting in a chair, right? <laughs> or hoping that somebody's going to stop at the red light. There are levels of faith. But I want to tell you, even as great as that faith story is, it's not, it's not what's talked about in this verse. You can have living faith. We all do. You may experience moving faith in something in your life, or you hear about somebody but there's even a higher level, and it is saving faith. 
Some of us know the verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Not of ourselves, not of anything we could boast. It is a gift of God. That's the faith that's going to remain. The gift, the gift of faith that comes from God himself, himself and puts it in our heart. It is how we are joined together in a saving relationship that's going to carry us into the future. That's why it's going to remain. It's that bond, that glue, that connection that God says, I have placed a belief in you that no one can take away, that I am real. As a, the a verse says, that, he's, that we looked at in 11, uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, we believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who follow him. And when we have that kind of faith, it's a saving faith. Now in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, I just put in the part of that verse, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then there are seven things we are to add on to our faith. And it talks about goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, perseverance, etc. You can look it up. But here's the important thing. It doesn't say, go work up your own faith. Because faith, saving kind of faith, that God deposits in our heart, that makes us a renewed person, is totally a gift from God. It's a gift from God, not of something we do by ourselves. So when, when Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and he says, now these three remain, he talks about faith, it's that highest level of faith, saving faith that moves us from a lost person to a person who is in Christ. And we know God, nobody, will argue us out of that. Now let's move to hope, the next one. And again, there are, there are the levels of hope as well. Living hope, if you're a parent, or maybe before you were a parent, you hope that you, uh, your child would be born healthy. You hope that your children grow up to be decent citizens. You hope that if you work all week, they will pay you for it. Do I hear an amen to that? <laughs> You, you hope your, your business doesn't go bankrupt this week and you work for nothing. Okay, those are the normal things that we hope for. You know, we hope the recession will end and our house values will come back up. There's all those things that are just living, living hope. You know, when a person doesn't have hope, we call it depression. When they see no reason to go on to the next day. And it, it becomes a very tragic thing. When I was a teenager... I saw that happen in my own home. And we lost a person in my family because that person said, I, there's no reason for tomorrow. See, living hope is very, very important. I would never underestimate it, but it's not what talk, it is not what is talked about here. Living hope, that, that helps us say, tomorrow's worth getting up for. There's something coming that's better. May, not, may have been a bad day yesterday, but there is a possibility of tomorrow being better. How about moving hope? There is a hope that's higher than just this everyday existence. I know there's a reason for me to go to work or you know, get up and uh, cook breakfast for my family or whatever. The story that comes to my mind is uh, actually an acquaintance of mine who had the same kind of position but up in the Northwest. Here's his quick story. His name is Rick. He went to Stanford. He was a tight end, obviously a bright person. He uh, got married to Barbara. And then he went out to work in Nevada in a uh, residential home for juvenile delinquents. They had three little boys along the way. And there, in the midst of serving out there in Nevada, God called him into ministry. And so he resigned from his position, wife and three kids. They moved back to the Midwest, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, enrolled in seminary. 
Went back to work 40 hours a week, studied hard. He's a bright guy and uh, graduated in uh, three or four years, whatever it is. And he got a pastorate there uh, near the Twin Cities, uh, just north of St. Paul. In the first year of being a pastor, he wasn't feeling well, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you're not going to live. You have terminal cancer. Now, can you imagine what swept over that man's thinking, his heart, his feelings, his wife? And and he obviously asked God, what was this all about? And why did you move me here? Why did I go through all of the strain of seminary? And now I just start and you say, I'm going to die. Some of you may remember a story in the Old Testament of a king. And God told him, you're going to die. And it says that he got in bed and probably got into a fetal position. It says he turned his face toward the wall. And he cried out, God, don't let me die. Give me 15 more years. Any of you remember that story, the Old Testament? Give me 15 more years. And God answered his prayer. And so Rick and Barbara, remembering that story, they turned their face toward the wall, and they prayed, God, give us 15 years by your grace. Would you be willing to do that? And here's what they were thinking. Three little boys. I don't know how old they were, seven, eight, nine. They thought in 15 years, if God, if you will give us 15 years, then these little boys will be grown up. Maybe they will have completed university or college. And maybe they will have found a wife. And therefore, they will be adults and take care of themselves and won't be left for mama to worry about little kids. Would you give me 15 more years? When Rick Sturm was standing at the third wedding, third son, I heard his wife tell us at the memorial service up in uh, Seattle. He's standing there before the third son. And... Uh, as he's gone through the ceremony, he's coming to the blessing prayer at the end. Uh, just emotion swept over him. God, you answered our prayer. Fifteen years, three sons through school, married, God. And he just, he just began to weep because he was so grateful. And that was the 15th year. And uh, guess what happened? The cancer started working again. I was in this position at the time, and uh, Rick went into the hospital, and uh, through those months, he sent an email almost every day. I'm not doing well. There's a fungus in my lung. They don't know what to do about it. Then he got a bone marrow transplant. So I, I remember his wife saying at that memorial service, she said, during that year, so many of the, you know, had many friends from seminary and across the country and in the churches, and they would, they would write, and they would email, and they would call up, and they'd go, Barbara. We're praying that God will give Rick another 15 years, that he would answer like he did 15 years ago. But she said, I, I knew in my heart that uh, God was going to take Rick. And sure enough, God took him home. Now, that's an outstanding, moving kind of hope, right? God, give me 15 more years. I mean, I, I, just living with that hope, never knowing till the next day. That's a moving kind of hope. But even that level of hope, and we could think of other stories, is not the hope that's talked about here, where it says these three remain, faith, hope. Because the hope that's talked about here is saving kind of hope. In uh, Colossians it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is, see, the thing that's deposited in our heart that is saving hope is the understanding that whether I live or die, 
whether I do well financially or I don't do well financially. There's one thing that can't be taken away from me. Uh, whether it's health, whether it's uh, you know, well-being, whether it's family, whether my marriage fails, whatever it might be, there's something deposited in my life that says it's going to get better out there. And that thing is one day standing and seeing Jesus coming for me, my hope of glory called the blessed hope in the verse that we saw later. When, when Paul writes about three things, now these three remain, faith, hope, that's the kind of hope he's talking about, knowing that there's something better ahead and that's personified in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're down to the last one, experiencing what remains, and we'll talk about love. Now, there is, well, there are four words for love in the New Testament. Those funny-looking words over on the side. Uh, now, the reason I do this is because I know your regular preacher has a Ph.D., and that can be very intimidating for other people that come in. So you can tell him that there was a guy here who had words that we couldn't read and didn't understand, and he must have been, had a little bit of smarts, right? I don't have a Ph.D., but you tell your pastor that I put Greek words up there, and he'll be not impressed at all. Thank you very much. Okay, those, <laughs> those words over there that you don't, uh, don't know how to read, they're Greek letters. And actually, I was in Russia a few years ago, a couple times, and they use the same alphabet. It's called the Cyrillic alphabet. And this is actually the, kinds of wor the kind of writing that the New Testament was written in, in Greek. When you go to seminary, sometimes Bible school, you're taught Greek you know, for the New Testament, Hebrew for the Old Testament, and these are the words. And there are four words. The first one is eros. Now, we know the, how that comes out in English because there's the word erotic. It's about physical, sensual, sexual things. And that's one, one word that will show up in the New Testament as love, but it's not the kind of love we're talking about here. The next one is storge, and that's family love, just what is shared between mom and dad, kids, grandpa, grandma, aunts and uncles, just the love that you have in the family, storge. Then the next one is philos. How many of you uh, know the city on the East Coast? Philadelphia. Nobody here does? They, have any of you been east of Reno or looked at a map recently? Okay. The double espresso is worn off. <laughs> we are, we're back to the early crowd. Okay. Uh, where was I? Philadelphia. That's made up of this word, philos, which means love. The last half of Philadelphia is Adolphos or Adelphia in English. And that is brother. And that's why it's known as the city of brotherly love. Or on the East Coast, they're known as the city of brotherly shove. That's worth a laugh, okay? Okay, so philos, but this is, again, a kind of love that's shared in friendship. Somebody uh, came up to Ray and I, my wife and I, in the first service on the greeting time, and said, we love you. Okay? And they were just saying, we have, there's affection and friendship and fondness, and it's good to have you here. But that's not the kind that's talked about here. The kind is agape love. That's God kind of love. That's the kind of love that took Jesus to the cross. And the definition is selflessness or a sacrificing kind of love. Just as the verse said, this is what love is. Jesus laid, Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. When it says here these three remain, and he talks about uh, faith, hope, and love, the love he's talking about is a sacrificing kind of love. Now let's talk about it in the living and the moving and the saving kind of love. Quickly. Living love, we experience that. We say I love you, we love our kids, we sacrifice for them, etc., etc. That's at the living level. We all understand that. And by the way, if we are not loved, 
If we don't feel that we are loved and welcomed warmly and accepted, there's a loneliness that comes about. Uh, wow, I just thought about this. When I, when I was taking some graduate work, they put some chimpanzees, they separated chimpanzees from their mothers and just put them in a cage, gave them everything that they needed of warmth and food and everything, and they were shrinking down and dying. And then they made some things that looked like a mama chimpanzee, and uh, they put burlap around it, something warm and fuzzy, and just somebody to hang on to, and they began to try. I mean, even though, even though it, was a, it was a fake imitation, we have to experience love on a very, very elemental level, or we will, in fact, wither up and die. Moving kind of love. The first time I flew to Haiti, it was October 2006, to go down and see about working in that country. I got on a plane in Chicago that morning, and I didn't know till later, probably a week later, what was happening while I was flying from Chicago to Miami. That morning, a guy by the name of Charles Roberts IV got up, and uh, he went to a school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Now, it was an Amish school, and some of you may know that Amish are people who, uh, at different levels, reject a lot of the conveniences we have today. They may not use electricity, they may not use cars, they ride in horses and buggies, and they have a very simple lifestyle. And they were, a teacher was there with a number of students in a one-room schoolhouse. And when, when uh, Charles Roberts IV got up that morning, he put in the back of his pickup some planks and plywood and boards. He put in the front seat with him some guns and pistols. And he went and he, he stormed in the door of the school and he asked all of the boys to leave. And there were 13 girls left there. And he, he tied the ankles of all of the girls and he made them turn around and face the blackboard, the chalkboard at the front. And then he began screaming at them, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to kill you. None of you are going to live. And he just is kind of in this rage and out of control. And there at the end of the line, there was a 13-year-old girl named Marion Fisher. And Marion Fisher said this in, a, in the midst of this screaming and chaos. She said, shoot me first and let the others go. Wow. Would you do that? Now, that's moving kind of love, right? I mean, that's extraordinary. Think of the definition we have. As Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to give our lives for our brothers, lay down our lives for our brothers. Marion Fisher was willing to do that this morning. And Charles Roberts shot a number of the girls, and finally the police stormed it. But even that kind of extraordinary moving love is not what, what's being talked about here, because the highest one is called saving love. In Philippians 2, and I won't even take time to read it, but you can see the words underlined there, about Christ's love. If any of you have comfort from his love, then you go down lower, where it says that same kind of love is to be found in us. Uh, we sang the song, brother, the power of his love up here. You know, just going through it a second time, I just absorbing those words when we went through it. And it talked about the power of his love being lived out in us, in our daily life. And that's what it's talking about here when it says, now these three will remain, faith, hope, and love. It's a sacrificing, selfless kind of love that, in fact, uh, will last because it comes from God, not the lower kinds of love. Highest love, doing something for another at expense to yourself. There's a quote there from a missionary. He and a number of Wycliffe missionaries gave their life down on a sandbar down in South America. When they tried to reach a tribe, they finally, they'd give them gifts and everything on a 
rope from an airplane going in a circle and a basket with stuff and they thought they had established a relationship finally landed on that sandbar and the, the natives there came out with spears and killed all of those uh, men that day uh, martyrdom and he's the one that wrote this only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last the highest kind of love doing things in the name of Christ to help someone else well uh, choosing what remains uh, only saving faith remains. Uh, on the way out today, you will receive a little card, and uh, it'll have this, this on it. First of all, saving faith, because that is what is going to remain. Not the other kinds, not the other levels. Hope, saving hope. Fa uh, love, only saving love is what's going to remain. So when, when Paul wrote here, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, I hope you've understood clearly this morning that it's not some minimal kind of love or minimal kind of hope or minimal kind of faith. Yeah, I have faith the guy's going to stop at the red light. That's not going to remain. It's the highest level of faith, hope, and love that is going to remain. Uh, some of you, we still have a question here in this verse, and I know I've used up my time, but we still haven't answered this question. Why is love the greatest? I don't know that I have the final answer, but here are some suggestions uh, for you this morning. Love is the essence of God probably at the preschool level in most churches, when we want to teach the first memory verse, we go to 1 John chapter 4, and it's there a couple places. We find this little phrase, and a two-year-old, a three-year-old can memorize it and understand it. God is love. If you get right at the heart, the core, the center, the basic of God and who he is and why he reached out to the world and why he sent his son, it is because he is love. So when he says the greatest is love, it starts right at the heart of God. But there may be some other reasons. Secondly, love is the basis for obedience. People came to Jesus and they said, of all the rules in the world, God, Jesus, tell us what to do. He said, simple, two things. One, love the Lord your God, your heart, your soul, and your mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's, it's no wonder that Paul says the greatest of these things is love. Because we, if we love, as God said, then we will... Uh, we, in fact, will be reaching the highest. The distinctive of Christians in all generations. It says, they will know we are Christians by our love. Every age, every country, every culture, every language, no matter how old or young any one of us are, if we are really representing Jesus Christ, then we will be known for being loving people. You know, none of us do it perfectly. Don Reed doesn't. But... That is the goal, because the greatest of all these things that it remain, if we are in Christ, is in fact uh, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now this little card you'll get on the way out, here's what I'd like to have you do just in the last minute or two before we finish. On here are the three things, saving faith, saving hope, and saving love. I would like to have you sometime today Maybe you're already checking off in your mind as I've been going through it. I would like to have you seriously take this and answer before God. Do I have saving faith? Not something you stir up within yourself. It is a gift of God, but you have to be open to accept it. Believe there is a God and believe that he will give you faith. And there's a verse here for, the, for it, Ephesians 2 and 8. Uh, the one about hope. Is your ultimate hope not in what you will accomplish here, but your ultimate hope is one day meeting Jesus, your Savior, face to face. Can you check off that? No matter what happens here, the thing that I look forward to the most 
is one day being with Jesus, my Savior, face to face. And then saving love. There's a verse here, and if you have your have a pencil, you might want to jot down 1 John 4, 7. I left off the reference here. But in 1 John 4, 7, it says this, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the next verse says, he who does not love does not know God. Very serious words. Okay? Do you have saving love? Are you a person who is given to doing things at a cost for yourself in the name of Jesus Christ so that it, somebody else would benefit? Just to Haiti trips, uh, we've had a couple hundred people go down there in the last three years. And to go to the neediest people in the Western Hemisphere, just on uh, Thursday, we were able to give a, a bag of 40 pounds of rice. It had an American flag stenciled on the side of it. It came from the U.S. to a mother uh, who has, I think, five children, no means of support. And just, just to say, here's a bag of rice. We give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Saving kind of love expressed. Now, I've also put on here a place to sign and the date. You know, as you check those off. Because wouldn't it be great to be card-carrying Christians? <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you have that in your Bible or up on your mirror or somewhere where people see it. And, and, they, and they have evidence. Maybe somebody finds it in your family. And uh, you could even be a, a means of a witness to be uh, really dialed in on this three, three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these are love. There's one more thing, church leaders here. If you go read in the epistles, when Paul wrote to the different churches, you look in the opening verses of any one of those books, and he talks about, here's what I've, I've heard about your faith. Here's what I've heard about your hope. Here's what I've heard about your love. He didn't even ask how big a building they had. He didn't even ask how many people got saved. He didn't talk about staff or a lot of other things, how many programs you have or small groups or Bible studies. But he said, here are the things that are really important because these three things remain. Say them with me. Faith. Wow, espresso, come on. Okay, say them with me. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Father in heaven, thank you for these dear people that have listened uh, so intently. God, I pray that you would cement in our minds as the way you've made our minds to remember these three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. With our eyes still closed, could I just ask now, if God has really touched you in one of these three things this morning, uh, could you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't even know your name. But I just want to include you in a, just a part of my prayer at the end. If God has spoken to you about faith, hope, or love, thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Okay, thank you. Put your hand down. Okay. Yeah. Serious thing. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Father, thank you for condensing so succinctly the things that really count in this earth. Not what car we drive or what house we live in. Not even whether we have a PhD or we don't even have a grade school education. But it's really during the years that we're left here that we've gotten a hold of the things that are really important and really remain faith, hope, and love. Thank you. You've, you've talked to us clearly about it in your word, and you've taught us, you've reminded us of it here this morning. God, what a great privilege to just think for a few minutes about what's really important and what really remains. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hands and others that may be just struggling with some of the things that have been said this morning. God, you know their heart. You know what you've said to them. Help them get good, to get good support and encouragement from this church. 
whatever steps they need to make moving ahead in faith, hope, and love. God, by your grace, let them see that come to fruit because they were willing to listen and respond to you this morning. Pray blessing upon Pastor Douglas, Noel, Pastor Rex, this congregation, their desire to expand. God, provide and bless beyond what they ask or think, just honoring their good heart toward you. God, it's been a real privilege to be here today. Thank you for all of your good gifts that you give to us because you are so generous and you love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.